Thank you for joining this sermon podcast from Cornerstone Fellowship in Forest City, North Carolina. We hope that you are blessed and encouraged by today's message. Cornerstone exists to glorify God as we passionately pursue Him and make Him known through worship, discipleship, fellowship, and outreach. Here's today's message. If you saw the posting on Facebook, you know today we were beginning a sermon series in 2 Peter. 2 Peter, and of course today we will begin in chapter 1, verse 1. And let me just say this quickly. I'm going to say this may take uh, a a better part of the summer. I don't know. But I'm doing something I've never done before. I am going to, I I don't think I've done before, at least not on this scale I know, but uh, no outline. We're going to do a verse by verse exposition of Second Peter. There's three chapters here, and let me just tell you what will be the theme of every message we preach. Peter is nearing the end of his life. He will say that in this letter. He says, I, I know the time for me departing from this body is near. So I We know then that it was written sometime prior to 68 or A.D. 68 because he died like the Apostle Paul at the hands of Nero. And in 68, Nero killed the only person that he ever killed that deserved it. He committed suicide. He killed a lot of innocent people and butchered a lot of people. But he'll take Peter's life. He'll take Paul's life. So we know it's prior to 68. But we know at this time that Peter is concerned that the Gentiles need a word of encouragement. They need to be told, hang in there. They need to be told, don't give up. It's going to get tough. You think it's tough now to get tougher. He tells them, he said, I already know there are false teachers that are about, and they are already teaching things that that are false and contrary to what we have taught you as apostles. And so he writes to the Gentile Christians and he tries to give them a word of encouragement and a serious word of guidance. And so I would say to you here in 2 Peter, this is a message that should touch our hearts because we are living in that time about which Peter spoke. I doubt seriously he thought it would last this long. I mean, we understand that Christ uh, ascended some 2,000 years ago and promised he would come back. In in biblical uh, thinking, though, we think of that as being a really long time, but we live after Christ about the same amount of years as Abraham lived before Christ, okay? Okay. And there was a lot of stuff that happened prior to Abraham. Genesis 1 through 11 all takes place after or prior to Abraham. So we've not even lived yet since Jesus left as long as the Old Testament time span prior to Jesus' coming. So I say that to encourage you don't lose heart. And Peter's going to talk about that as well. You can also tell that the apostles, even Paul, they started out believing that just any day the Lord would come back. We call it the delayed parousia. That word parousia is the appearing 
And so that was a word that they used for the second coming. But the apostles as they wrote, as Peter and Paul both wrote, you can tell toward the end they began to realize he may not be coming in my lifetime. Paul said one time that the dead in Christ shall rise first and then those of us who are alive and remain will be caught up together to meet them in the air. Did you hear the word us? He believed he just, I mean, they were like going outside every day. Which is what we ought to do. Because he's going to catch us off guard one day. He sure is in a time when we're not, we're not thinking about it. Boom. Man, his bride's going home to be with him. And, and I yeah, I'm, I'm ready. If, if he wants to come today. But see, he probably won't because I'm expecting it. But he's trying to get us to see here, though, that we need to be ready. And as they wrote later, they would talk about that. He'll say in this book that a day is as a thousand years with the Lord and a thousand years is as a day. He's reminding his people that he's, to whom he's writing, don't, don't get caught up in the fact that Christ hasn't returned yet. He doesn't think in time like we do. The time that since Christ ascended into heaven, the 2,000 plus years since then is nothing for God. Nothing for God. So anyway, he writes this to encourage us. Now let me tell you what, I'm, I, I, I just really feel led to do this. This is stretching me, I tell you. And I hate to admit this, you'd think I'd be over getting nervous. I woke up this morning at five minutes after one, and I haven't closed my eyes since. I'm telling you, I'm scared of you people. No, I, I, I've just, I just have gone over my notes and over my notes. I, I want to make sure that I don't miss anything, but I, I, I tell you what I'm wanting to do. Instead of spending a lot of time with an outline, and I love using an outline. It helps keep me on track. It helps me to herd the cats, you know, my ideas. You know how my mind works. I chase rabbits everywhere. But it helps me to stay on point. But I'd really love to just take this book and go through it and just preach it verse by verse. Not worry about an outline. Preach all three chapters. And hey, guess what? We're going to read 1 through 10 today. Do you think we'll get all the way to 10? No, we'll get there in what, uh, October? I, I don't know. I don't want to worry about that. I, I want to be free, okay? I want to just, if we get through four, verse 4 today, we'll start verse 5 next week, okay? So, however that works out. The title to the series is going to be Confirming Our Call because he's going to tell us in the last verse that we'll read here in a moment in verse 10. He tells these Gentile Christians to make sure to confirm your calling and election. Now, we understand that election is God's department and we understand that election is how God chose us before the foundation of the world. So there's no need in worrying about losing your salvation or any of that. Uh, we have eternal security because God already chose us before 
before he ever even created the world. And so uh, we understand that. But then Peter seems to bring in some human volition here in that he says, hey, make sure of your calling. And, and let me just paraphrase it as best I can. How, why should we make sure of our calling? Who do, who do we call to see about that? You know, what, what's the number for uh, 1-800-scared-I'm-going-to-hell, you know? How, how do you find that out? Well, basically, Peter is saying, look, if you feel like you're a born-again Christian called by God uh, and you are living however you want to and doing what you pretty much want to do and when you do catch a little extra time you give it to God and maybe throw a couple of bucks in the plate if you feel like it and all of that if that's where you are he says you need to maybe think about whether you're even born again confirm it think about it make sure of that well, so we'll have entitled the sermon series, Confirming Our Call. Let's begin in verse 1. I have, we're going to read from the uh, English Standard Version. And it starts out with Simeon Peter. Now, Simeon is the Hebrew equivalent to Simon. But in the best manuscripts we have, the oldest copies of the Greek we have of Second Peter, it's the word Simeon. Will it make any difference if we call him Simon or Simeon? No. But I'm just going to read it like we got it. Simeon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ. To those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours. You are Gentiles, but you have attained a faith with equal standing with ours. How? By the righteousness of God and Savior, our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God. And of Jesus Christ, our Lord. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Through the knowledge of Him. He'll use that word maybe 16 times. I can't remember exactly uh, throughout the book. It's one of the major themes. Knowledge. The knowledge of God. Through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. By which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises. So that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature. Having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and with virtue, with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, 
and brotherly affection with love. There's our standard for confirming our calling. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, some growth should be taking place, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that, that he's blind. That, that's the one that says, no, I, I'm, I'm saved. I'm just working on this stuff. No, he's blind. Having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins, he's received forgiveness, but he's living like a heathen. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. There's our words. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fail. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Kenneth Gangle, who is the chief editor of the Bible Knowledge Commentary series, says the purpose of Second Peter is to call Christians to spiritual growth so they can combat apostasy. That's falling away from God as they look forward to the Lord's return. It's just so concise. I wanted to quote him. We are expected to grow. When you first become a Christian, and you might be an older person, but a young Christian, and you might be a young person, but a mature Christian, it has very little to do or nothing to do with our physical age. But once we are born again, we are expected to grow. It is a theme that runs throughout the New Testament. And you can see it here. These qualities Peter talks about, if you have them and they are increasing, don't get stagnant. Don't, don't just stop. Don't just come to church and, 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 and just be preached to. And uh, uh, boy, uh, this idea that, that has poisoned a lot of people in church. I just want to go and, and be fed. Well, well what are you going to do with it after you're fed? After you're nourished, Tony Evans calls people like that constipated Christians. <laughs> he says, you, you just take it in all the time. Nothing coming out. And if you remember, the only body of water that we know of, of significance in the world, that has an inlet but no outlet, the first name of it is what? Dead Sea. Exactly right. And dead Christians are the same way, or dead uh, supposed Christians, people that are dead spiritually. We start out as babes and as babies, and, and there is a time, Paul tells us in his writings, that we're expected to be babies, and we're expected to want baby things. You, you think about what a baby is. We, we, we tolerate them when they're babies, right? Because a baby is a thing with a really loud noise on one end and absolutely no responsibility on the other end. Okay? But we tolerate that because they're babies. But when you're 25 years old, we're not going to be quite as patient. We'd like to tone down that loud noise and really we'd enjoy some responsibility. 
So I'm saying that we have to grow. We, growth is expected of us. And Peter is telling us, unless you grow, unless you stay in the Word and discipline yourself to stay in the Word, what's coming? And he's talking 2,000 years ago. <coughs> what he says is coming our way. The level of apostasy and corruption from which we need to escape, he says you'll never do it unless you begin to mature and to grow in your faith. He stresses that throughout. So keep that in mind every Sunday that we come back to Second Peter. Make sure that you understand. He is trying to gouge us, poke us, gourd us into growing. Don't be stagnant. Stop the just, just sitting around same old place. What, what is it that a year ago was conquering you, but now you are conquering it? What's a temptation that two years ago had you by the throat, but now no more? You've been set free by the power of God. What are some things like that that you can say? Or would your testimony, if you were honest, be that, no, I'm still dealing with the same old demons I dealt with the very first day I got saved. I've not grown. I've not gone anywhere. Well, we need to grow. And if you're a young Christian, the sooner you can start, the better. I'm telling you. And we need to commit as a church to disciple people, not just make converts, but provide people with an opportunity for growth. I will have to say this, and I I, I don't mean to to be so harsh about this, but I got to tell you, there are a ton of opportunities around here to grow. Tons of opportunities around here to learn the Bible. I have told people before, and the offer still stands. If you would like to be mentored one-on-one personally, I'm up for it. If you want to come once a week and meet with me and say, I want you to teach me the Bible, no holes barred. I want to grow. I want to know about God's Word. I want accountability in my life, man. Last office on the right as you're going out. There's opportunities here. We have other teachers that are far better than me that teach. We've got a women's ministry that is awesome. We all kinds of opportunities for us to grow. But we got to get it get started early. Um, Skip Isaac. <laughs> I listened to one of his sermons this week on, or part of one of them, on uh, this particular passage. He uses an illustration, and I'm going to steal it from him in broad daylight. But he talked about the Tower of Pisa. It was built in 1173, I think. But the Tower of Pisa, we all know where it is. Usually we call it the Tower of Pizza. Um, it was a bell tower outside of a cathedral is basically what it is. It's not anything real big. The only reason we even know about it is because of its flaw. You, do you think you'd have ever heard of a bell tower somewhere in Italy if, if, if it we hadn't, a, hadn't a been tilted? Now they say it's tilting about uh, one-twentieth of an inch a year it's had a lot of years to get there. They've tried to fix it before, but it didn't start out on the right kind of foundation. And now it is, I've read 15, I also read 17, 15 to 17 feet out of plumb. 
And the day is coming when she will go to the ground. There is no saving it. Now, here's the question. How would you like to be known for your fatal flaw? How would, I mean, the Tower of Pisa is only, we only know about it because the blooming thing is falling down. The leaning Tower of Pisa. People go over and take all these dumb photographs that makes them look like they're holding it up and all of that. Maybe you've got one. I'm sorry. But don't, a lot of people, I'm telling you, even though they claim to know the Lord as their Savior, their, their fatal flaw, the, the thing in them that never grew, the part of them that never had a foundation under it, if they're not careful, that's the only way they're going to be known. Not about a relationship with Jesus Christ, but maybe you're one of those that people would say, I tell you, he's a good old boy. I, I've known him for years, but now don't cross him. Woo. He's got a temper, Lord have mercy. And some guys, because we're so macho, we kind of like having that reputation. Yeah, I'd say I don't want anybody messing with me. I can tell you that. I mind my own business, you mind yours. You keep your hands to yourself, leave my family alone, stay off my land, whatever. You, you want to be known because you have a fatal flaw? Is that how you want to be known? You want to die being known as an alcoholic drunk? Is that, is that you could drink people on the table. I've heard people give their testimony before, and it's almost like they are proud of the heathen level they were at at one time. Don't be known for your fatal flaw. Allow God to do a work in your life and help you to grow. He can do it. I promise he can. You say, I, I've tried before. I've given up. Good. That's, a, that's, that's first base. Give up. You trying is what's got you where you are. Surrender and give your heart to Christ and your life to him and say, God, here is a mess. I'm dropping it at your feet if you can do anything with it whatsoever. I beg you to do it. I, I'll, I'll just tell you right now, and I hope he doesn't mind me saying this, but man, you remember the guy named Sam that we prayed for and prayed for and, and he had gotten, and I hope he doesn't hate me for this. He's smiling, so I guess it's okay. But he got in a fight. They almost killed him. We thought he was going to die. We'd never met him. He's Rachel's Fowler's brothers, all we knew. But we prayed for him and prayed for him. And we asked God to heal him. And we asked God to bring him through it. And then we asked God to save him. I want to tell you, he was in the new members class this morning. He is a born-again Christian. And he's going to join Cornerstone Fellowship. He won't have to live his life and die being known for the guy that got all beat up. No. Man, I'm telling you, it just blesses my heart. Blesses my heart to see him here today, to have him in class. Well, let's take a look at verse 1. At least we got that far. Some of you just lost a bet, didn't you? Simeon Peter, Peter is the only guy in the Bible named Peter. This is kind of odd. 
He's the only guy in the Bible named Peter. But he basically has four names, five if you separate Simon from Simeon. Simeon is his Hebrew name. Simon is a short Greek version of his Hebrew name, Simeon. Bar-Jonah is his family name. Bar means son of in the Hebrew. And Jonah in the Hebrew is John, so he's the son of John. He's also in the Aramaic called Kipos. We say Cephas in the English. It is a word that means rock, which comes from the name that the Lord gave him, which was Petros or Peter, which means rock. So, just for him to start out with, with all the names he could have used. He's like a guy that's got busted on the street and he's got 14 IDs. Well, his are legit. (laughs) He's got a bunch of them, but his are legit. But he starts out and this can't be overlooked. He says, my name is Simon Peter. And when Simon came up in his name, in the Gospels and in his writings, it was a sign that, yeah, They call me Peter, and the Lord gave me that name, but I can tell you, I still have a whole lot of Simon in me, and I've never forgotten what a big old Simon I was. That's my human name, and I can't get all braggadocious about the Lord giving me a special name, and and I'll tell you, I know he seems like sometimes he is a, he does have a big mouth, and he is quick to speak, but man, when God got a hold of his heart, boy, a lot of things changed, and and I can tell you, God worked on him early. You remember one night they had fished all night, this is in Luke 5 chapter 8, and they had fished all night and hadn't caught anything, and the Lord came along. This is why I pray to catch fish sometimes when I'm in the boat, okay? So leave me alone. Jesus said, throw the net over on the other side. Now, I don't know if this was a miracle of omniscience or omnipotence. Would you like to spend the rest of our time this morning figuring that out, or should we just go on and preach? Did he make the fish there, or did he know the fish was there? Yeah, people that get in those arguments have more time than we do. (laughs) But it was a miraculous catch of fish. And when Peter saw it, this is early in his walk with the Lord. Simon Peter saw it, Luke 5, 8. He fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For amazement had seized him and all his companions because of the catch of fish that they had taken. When he began to realize you are no normal, regular, run-of-the-mill person, you are God. And you can do incredible things. Peter just fell down. Instead of going, well, I, I, well, I, yeah, of course, I, I knew those fish were there. Or, or, you know, we've caught that many before. Instead, of, he, he didn't even pay any attention to that. It just struck him so much that that God could do something like that. I'll give you another example. In John chapter 21, at the very end, you remember, after the resurrection of Jesus and all that, what Peter say? He says, I'm going fishing. I've been humiliated. I denied my Lord. I've been through the grinder. I'm going back to what to do what I'm good at. I can catch fish. I may not can do what God wants me to do, and I may not can please the Lord and all of that, but I can fish and I'm going back, and we're all tempted to do that. I'm going to go back and do what I'm good at. 
I'm sick and tired of trying to teach this class. It just, I feel like a fool sometimes. I, I, I want to I go back to whatever it was I was doing before. I, and, and we may all have that temptation, but anyway, he's fishing. And then one morning, they see someone over on the seashore cooking breakfast. Somebody's already caught some fish. And it was Jesus. And he has a conversation with Peter that you'll remember. John 21, he says, Simon, son of John. He didn't call him Peter. I know you don't feel like hearing about Peter and all that today. You've not been much of a rock. But I hadn't give up on you, and I've not thrown you away. And three times he tells him, Simon, son of John, he asked him, do, do you love me more than these? Simon, son of John. I'll give you another example. When the Lord told him, you're going to be sifted. He says, Satan has demanded permission to sift you as wheat. Wheat's worthless until it is sifted. I remember growing up on the little farm where we lived. I always loved it when we finally quit picking peas and we let them go to dry. We let them go to seeds, what we call it. And we'd let them get real dry. And this is why I loved it, because I hated shelling peas. And so what you'd do when you let them go to seed is they'd just the holes would get real dry and you'd gather them up and put them in a sack. And us boys, we'd just get to beat the lard out of the sack. And, and, and by doing that, frailing away at it, we could. my grandmother would take that sack and pour them out and let the wind carry the chaff away and the peas would fall into the bucket. That's shelling peas right there, if you ask me. That green thumb sore you get, huh, that's for the birds. Put them in a sack and beat the lard out of them. What sifting does is it takes that which is useful and it separates it from that which makes it unuseful. When that happened, Jesus didn't say, oh, by the way, Peter. He says, no. He says, Simon, Simon. I'm sure Peter got to the point he thought, man, every time Jesus calls me Simon, something's up. Sort of like when your mom or dad uses your full name. You ever heard that? You know, like, oh, yeah, that's, something's bad. Simon, Simon. Satan has demanded permission to sift you. He couldn't touch you if I didn't let him. But I'm going to let him. And after he's finished, you will lead your brothers. But you got some good in you, Peter. But right now, it's hindered and destroyed and rendered worthless because of the other things in your life. The hulls, the chaff. You need sifting. So, he calls himself in verse 1 a servant. He says, that's first of all, understand I am a servant. That's the word doulos. It can be translated as slave. And he says that before he gives his credentials, that I am an apostle of Jesus Christ. He said, I am first of all, make sure you understand this, I am a servant. Peter has done a lot of growing since we first met him. Make sure you understand. And, and he is saying to us, 
You might be a preacher, you might uh, have a huge church, you might be a great teacher, you may be a gifted vocalist, you might have all kinds of talents and ability, abilities and spiritual giftedness, but he is telling us it's all for naught unless you are a servant, unless you're willing to serve. Because if our Lord and Savior, if God incarnated in human flesh the creator of the universe is going to come and say i did not come to be served but i came to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many then what am i to say about myself we've made gods and millionaires out of a lot of preachers We've turned churches into stadiums. And if you have to do that, that's, that's fine. But for some reason, I don't think this things that went on in the stadiums with Billy Graham is the same thing that's going on in the stadiums of some of these reverend whiz-bangs. We've turned them into gods. He says, make sure, first of all, whoever you are, you are willing to serve. And then he addresses his audience. To those who have obtained, verse 1, who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ. Equal standing with ours. He is talking probably, most likely first, about the Jews. You are Gentiles. He's writing the Gentiles. He says, but you have obtained a standing and equal standing with with the same standing that we have with God. If you are born again, you're part of the people of God. There's neither Jew nor Greek anymore. There's neither slave nor free anymore. There's neither male nor female anymore. But in Christ Jesus, we are one. So we have the same standing as the Jews. We have the same standing as Peter and the other apostles. And, and, and just to kind of piggyback on the point we just made, the early church, especially after it became Catholic, man, they had all kinds of foolish ideas about the apostles and those who had lived before them. And they started this thing called beatification. And beatification is where you are declared a saint. And it happens after you die. And there has to be someone who witnessed a miracle that happened in your presence while you were living. And there also has to be somebody that knows of a miracle that happened near your grave or your body after you died. Good luck with that. And then the Pope has to deem you a saint. Now, I'm not going to go into a ton of details about this, but I want to tell you, Jesus Christ beatified me, my friend. And I am a saint, not because of how I live, but because of who lives within me. Man, when Paul wrote to the church at Corinth, that was the biggest bunch of babies and whining and carrying on that you ever saw in your life. But he calls them saints because they have been born again. So all of that foolishness came from Catholicism when people were trying to equate themselves with St. Paul and St. Peter and 
St. Mark. Your old English translations will have St. Matthew, St. Mark, St. Luke, St. John. Yeah, they were saints, but not because the Catholic Church deemed them such, my friend. But because they were born again. That's how you become a saint. Church also got into relic worship as well. Man, and that really got out of hand. They would go around and dig up graves they thought were Paul's or Peter's or whatever, and they'd try to find bones and teeth and anything they could, and they would revere those things. They would worship those foolish relics because they had forgotten that everybody that is born again according to the Word of God, we are in equal standing before God. No. I'll just give you this quickly. I think this is hilarious, honestly. I mean no disrespect, but there is a splinter from the cross of Jesus Christ in Turkey. Now, before you get on a plane to go see it, think about that. It's been said that if all the splinters and pieces of wood that have been said to have been found, that were part of the cross, were all put together that you could build a cathedral. The Shroud of Turin, oh man, gets a lot of viewers on the History Channel, but I can tell you, it's a load of bunk. They, in Germany, they have a baby blanket they claim belonged to Jesus. I'm not kidding you. John the Baptist, let me just give you a couple more. They have his index finger from his right hand in a museum in Missouri. How would you like to know that you died and the part of you they found, they took it to Missouri? It's in a, it's in a museum in Missouri. And they claim it is the finger of John. His right hand, the hand they say he baptized Jesus with, I don't even know how they know that. It's in a uh, Serbian Orthodox church. He has a tooth and a knuckle bone, and one of his arms is in Bulgaria. Now, how did he get in so many places? Oh, man, don't hate me, okay? But he's traveling around like cocaine in the White House. He's everywhere. Oh, I shouldn't have said that. Any questions or complaints? See, Pastor Deese. I'm just saying, how could all of that be true? It's because... The Catholic Church loves status. But let me tell you something. They, they, they didn't invent it. John the Baptist was a great man. But let me tell you what Jesus said. Matthew eleven eleven. Truly I say to you, among those born of woman, there has not arisen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Now, how can that be? Well, let me tell you. John the Baptist never saw the fulfillment of the kingdom of God. He was a herald, an announcer for it. He 
he preached that it was coming. The kingdom of God is at hand and we need to repent and get right with God. He preached that. But he died before he was able to experience what Jesus did on the cross and and to be part of the kingdom of God and to understand what it was really, truly like to have your sins forgiven and to be born again. Now John the Baptist will be in heaven. And in his time and in his purpose, there was none greater than him. But Jesus said, there'll be many who will come after him that may be least in the kingdom, but because they have experienced the kingdom of God personally, they're even greater than John the Baptist. Man. But we also have to go back and realize it wasn't Catholicism that started all of this hierarchy. Who's more important? Who's a bishop? Who's a cardinal? Who's, they got all that from paganism later. later. But we've got to go back to the disciples. Man. The disciples got to wondering about the uh, authority structures in the new kingdom. Matthew 18, 1. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and said, <clears throat> I'm going to paraphrase I'm not asking him, you ask him. I'm not asking him. One of them finally did. I bet he wished he hadn't. Who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And look what Jesus did. And he called a child to himself and set him before them. See, the point's already made. He didn't have to kidnap the child, didn't have to run it down, didn't have to lasso it. All he had to do was call the little child. It came right to him. But Jesus knew, no, these are knuckleheads. I'll have to explain it. And he said, truly I say to you, unless you are converted and become like children, You will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever then humbles himself as this child, he is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to stumble, boy, this is one of the few times that Jesus really just said it like it was. (laughs) He always did, but. It's a powerful saying. He said it would be better for him to have a heavy millstone hung around his neck and to be thrown in the depth of the sea. Children in that culture, they received no respect. They were like, in the way they were considered, very unimportant. They didn't get near the treatment that children get nowadays. They had like zero Status. So we know that Jesus is not just saying that you got to be humble like a child, naive like a child. That child just came right over there to him. Boy, it's my, I have such a heart for children, and, and, and I don't even like to think about people who abuse them and hurt them. They're vulnerable, and, 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 and they will just, they'll, they'll just come to people that they don't even know. And, 
and, and hug them and love on them. Uh, man, little Jack Jack will come in my office some days, and you know Jack Jack. Most of you do. Yeah, you'll meet him. But he'll come in my office, and sometimes my dog Roscoe will be there, and Roscoe don't like even for Jack Jack to get too close to me. So Roscoe will be under there growling. He'll be, Ugh. little Jack Jack crawls up in my lap. Why is he not worried about a dog that weighs way more than he does and is already showing his teeth? He knows I will kick him through the front of the desk if he starts toward that child. That child just crawls up in my lap, not because he trusts Roscoe, but because he trusts me. We have to become like children, not just in simplicity and naivete and innocence, but we have to become reoriented to become insignificant. You don't have to, 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 to be a part of the kingdom, you're going to have to be willing to not always have your side heard. To not always be appreciated. A willingness to embrace irrelevance. Inconsequential. Sometimes you just have to be like that. Paul was treated terribly. They stoned him one time so bad they thought he was dead. They treated him like trash all the time, but you never hear a word of bitterness ever come out of his mouth. I could, I, I'm, he's way beyond me in that regard. I, I think it would have finally gotten to me, but Jesus says, unless you're willing to embrace insignificance, become humble like this child, then you'll not see the kingdom of God. We have a lot of pride in our lives sometimes we have to deal with. I'm going to close here. So if your money was on, we'll get through verse 1 maybe. You win. You remember who used to say, I am the greatest. Who was it? Muhammad Ali. He said this. I said that before I knew I was. That's a humble heart, isn't it? I said I was the greatest and didn't realize I really am the greatest. What was it? Fly like a butterfly, sting like a bee. You can't hit what you can't see. Oh, yeah. He said one time, I should be a postage stamp. That's the only way I'll ever get lit. So don't think he wasn't a deep thinker, full of pride. So many. It's how they see themselves. It's how they see themselves. Man, we have attained a faith of equal standing with the Jews, with the apostles, with John the Baptist. But as we close, notice the rest of that verse. How did we get it? By the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. I know you're like, preacher, you can't preach a sermon without bringing that up. It's in the passage. How did we get the status of Paul? How did 
Mike Snellgrove gained the same spiritual status of, of Jews and, and the apostles and the very disciples that walked with Jesus? How in the world could we have such? It is not by our righteousness. You can't get saved by your righteousness. It is by the righteousness of God. Our Savior, Jesus Christ. Man. I think we're going to have a good journey through here. We'll probably speed up some, okay? So don't be sitting here thinking, well, I'm already 55. Hope I live long enough. One, you're not 55. And two, I don't preach that long most of the time. But I think Peter's got some great things to teach us. Hang in there for the long haul, he says. There's going to be some of you a couple of thousand years, and I'm paraphrasing here, maybe a couple of thousand years on down the road, and you're going to think, man, he's gone and not coming back. If he's coming back, you'd have been back by now. That's exactly what they said the first time he came. It had been 800 years since Isaiah promised he was coming. People weren't looking for him. They weren't expecting him to be born in Bethlehem that night. He's coming. You and I just need to be getting ready. Growing spiritually. Learning some discipline in our lives. Doing some things that glorify Him. I pray to God that He'll help us with that. Lord, we thank You for Your Word. Lord, we need it so badly and it's so rich. God, we can barely get through it. I pray You'll help us. Help us as we attempt this journey together. Teach us what we need to know, Lord. I thank you so much, God, for preserving your word all these years so that we could have it. We're blown away, Lord, at how it it just, it knows about our lives. It, It speaks to things, God, that we see every day. Lord, it's timeless. We thank you for that, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Thank you for joining us today. If you have any questions or would like to know more about Cornerstone, please visit our website at servantsway.com or email us at office at servantsway.com. Cornerstone Fellowship is located at 1186 Hudlow Road, Forest City, North Carolina. Please join us again next week.